Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 104. Welcome to RestaurantUnstoppable.com. Listen to successful restaurant professionals as they discuss the tools, tactics, and services they use to better lead, manage, and market their restaurants. Join our community and make your restaurant dreams unstoppable. Here's your host, Eric Cacciatore. Yo, what is going on, all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? Uh, you know who it is, and this is the podcast for personal growth in the restaurant industry. I have an awesome show for you today. It's a first time here at Restaurant Unstoppable. We have a master chocolatier on the show, really just trying to expand the horizon and, and uh, you know broaden the scope on the culinary professionals that are out there that can add and contribute to this melting pot of mentors. Uh, before I hit play... Just remember to please always connect with me if you have any ideas about what we can talk about on the show, who we can bring on the show to add value, uh, or just a mentor that you think would be a great guest. I will do everything humanly possible to connect with them. Just Facebook me or tweet me. I'm on Google+, LinkedIn, and uh, my email. Don't forget that, eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. I am always looking to connect, and uh, if the words success is your greatest enemy and your competitors are your greatest strengths, if that really intrigues you and you want to find out more about that, make sure you stick around to the end of today's episode because we dive in to the, that uh, quote a little bit more. It's a good one. You do not want to miss it. Here it is. Uh, with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Master Chocolatier, Richard Tango Aloe. How are you today? I am doing very well, Eric, and I am pleased um, and happy to be with you today. Well, I am pumped up. You are my first chocolatier on the show, um, and I can't wait to hear your story and let you drop those bombs of knowledge on us. Are you ready? <laughs> we. We do knowledge, yeah. We can help you with that. <laughs> okay, cool. I'll just give you a, a, a quick introduction of who you are and what you got going on, and then I'll pass it over to you for the big picture. Richard's journey to become a master chocolatier began in 1995. Uh, in his pursuit to become a master chocolatier, he has spanned the globe studying from Vancouver. Uh, and say that name of the school for me. I'm going to have you say these. <laughs> That's Echo Chocolat. <laughs> and uh, all the way in the Rhone Valley of France studying at the, go for it, I called you Grand Chocolat Verona. <laughs> yeah, there's no way I was going to be able to spit those out. But uh, there's no question that he owns the chocolate scene in New Hampshire. And uh, today he is the master chocolatier at the Dancing Lion in Manchester, New Hampshire. Richard, this is just a quick overcap of who you are and what you've got going on. I'm going to pass it over to you now to kind of give us the big picture of how you got into the industry of food and beverage and you know how you got to where you are today as a master chocolatier. Okay. Well, let me, let me do a quick start from back at the beginning. I never had any intention of being a chocolatier, much less a master chocolatier. We're making chocolate for a living. Okay. Um, Actually, a long time ago, I was a physicist in Southern California. I did oh, wow. the low-temperature superconductive electronics and laser stuff, and it was a lot of fun. But, uh, but L.A. wasn't for me. And I ended up getting into the, the very new-at-the-time computer area, um, playing with you know, the Internet when it was ARPANET and just becoming the Internet, and kind of followed it through. Um, about 16 years ago, I was, because I like to cook, I was trying to make chocolate truffles with some chocolate chips, and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. 
And as a physicist, not work, doesn't work <laughs> is basically, okay, what the heck is going on here? Okay. <laughs> it didn't work. Everything was sludgy, and it wasn't what I expected. And, uh, and it took me a while because at that time, we really didn't have much in the way of the Internet, um, or at least not, not like the web like we have it now where you can go search for stuff through books that um, yeah. that there's chocolate and then there's chocolate. And most of the chocolate we get, particularly in the United States, isn't chocolate mm-hmm. because it doesn't have any of the stuff in it that makes it chocolate. It doesn't have the cocoa butter and, you know, it's, it's at least so little that it doesn't really matter. Okay. And um, chocolate is a wonderfully interesting substance from a chemical standpoint. And it's like what we call a six-phase polymorphic crystal, and I won't say that again. But it makes a big difference, and I've made come full circle. We're actually doing some work with Dartmouth College and some of their students and professors on research with low-temperature work with chocolate and cocoa butter. All right. But, um, but anyway, so I, I, I quickly kind of found myself really intrigued, and I started seeking out real chocolate, which was really hard to find. And I eventually found a chocolate, um, a chocolatier that sold me a slab of a French Valrona, I'm um, a beautiful French chocolate, the one kilo, and it was an entire, it was a revelation. It was unlike anything I'd tasted, and after that, I just spent my time, essentially my spare time, seeking out the best chocolate I could find anywhere. I tasted hundreds of chocolates. I started keeping a notebook, and I realized over several years, as I started trying to kind of work with chocolate, one, it's really hard stuff to work with well, mm-hmm. extremely frustrating in many sleepless nights, and, um, and second, that I was starting to develop um, a more sophisticated taste for chocolate. I was consciously tasting it and able to keep notes on what I was tasting and how it developed in my mouth. And I started doing it as kind of a hobby where we were selling some chocolate. Yeah. I ended up getting some event gigs and then needed to get a kitchen. So I was able to find a place I could, I could renovate and rent a small kitchen for like $75 a month, which so was nothing. Where are we in the time span now? Okay. So at this point, we're about seven years ago. Okay. Renovated a kitchen. I guess I guess that was about 2007. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it went pretty well. I was open by appointment twice a month. And once a week, you know, on, on the weekends, I'd go in and I'd make stuff. I had an apprentice I'd, I'd pulled in who was tremendous. Awesome. And, uh, and a few years ago, about four years ago, the building I was in was taken over. It was, it was sold off and taken over, and I had to leave. So I called a friend of mine who's a real estate guy, and he said, I've got a perfect place for you in the middle of downtown, but you have to buy it. You know, it's a historic building right across from City Hall. And I said, okay. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and you know, before I knew it, I was kind of, yeah. Um, now, in the interim back here, back in 2007, I knew I was getting serious. Yeah. So I went off and I actually attended, which is an, a three-month online course at Cold Chocolate out of Vancouver. And okay. it's uh, an online course that really kind of presumes you know what you're talking about before you go in. After that, I did some of the follow-on studies, which were, were spending time in, uh, at Valrhona, called Du Grand Chocolate Valrhona in the Rhone Valley in France, which was a, an incredible eye-opener. It was, you know, all the Ecole Chocolat classes and master classes are international. So you're working with people from around the world, and they tend to be pretty small. And in France, Ten Limitage, where this, this school is, is, it's about as far south and about as far east as you can go and still be in France. There's not much around except for wine and chocolate. And, uh, and it, was, it was incredibly eye-opening and amazing. You know, here we're on one of the best chocolate schools in the world, pretty much, um, learning serious chocolate yeah. with really cool people from, you know, I, I'm, uh, there were 12 of us and, and two on my, my team I worked with. One was a, uh, worked at the Ritz in London, and the other was a chocolate maker from Guatemala. 
Wow, Richard. I mean, this was just such an awesome journey that you've been on, and the people you've been able to to surround yourself with, and the places you've been able to go to, and I'm sure that has contributed to your success, but I, I don't really pick up on you talking about this as being work. I hear you just talking about it being your passion, and how you just love the complexities and the science that goes into chocolate, and that's what really draws you into it. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but are you a perfectionist? Like, is that a part of what contributes to this? I am so not a perfectionist, but no. I'm incredibly oh, really? curious. Oh, okay. I am incredibly curious, <laughs> and, and that and that's what kind of keeps sucking me in and keeps sucking me in as we keep working at things. Oh, man, that's awesome. Well, I mean, that's a, a cool it factor. We haven't kind of titled it as one of your it factors yet, but maybe it does contribute to that. Uh, is there anything else you want to share about your story before we get that success quote from you? I think that's pretty close to it. I mean, after after France, I studied in Italy, and I did a second master's chocolatier, and I'm actually now on the... Um, faculty of Gold Chocolat out of Vancouver. Awesome. I teach an international course on tasting chocolate and where chocolate flavor comes from. It's a, a pretty significant course. Great. And uh, and it's, it's you know, and, and it's, it's, it's pretty wild. I, I still deal with people from all over the world, and it's a lot of fun given that we're in Manchester. Yeah, well, I'm excited to just uh, dive into your head because you are the first master chocolatier on the show, and this is my attempt to kind of broaden the horizon a little bit. I mean, we, we talked to a lot of restaurants, uh, and we've had butchers on the show, but there's just so many different, you know, craft out there that people are passionate about that come down to serving people with food and I just wanted to dive into all these different minds and uh, I'm excited for this interview. So with that said, uh, what is one success quote or mantra that you apply to your career? I have two. I'm going to leave the second one for last okay. at the uh, very end of the interview, but this one I'm going to use because it's it more than anything else exemplifies how I go about doing things. Mm-hmm. And it's a paraphrase of Dwight Eisenhower. You know, um, when he was basically planning for D-Day in World War II. And, and what he said roughly was, plans are completely useless, but planning is everything. Oh, I like that and one. And I live, that, I live by that on a daily basis. Can you say that one more time? Okay. It's my, it's my, my <laughs> mutilation of, of Eisenhower's uh, statement that plans are useless, but planning is everything. Oh, man, I love it. Yeah, and I mean, to have a plan, and when you have so many different variables uh, like that happen in a restaurant or in uh, working as a chocolatier and a storefront and all these different people that you know contribute to the big picture, you need to have that plan. You need to be proactive, and to get it written out is just so powerful, too. Uh, I love it, and I can't wait for that second quote. I haven't forgotten about that. We'll come back <laughs> to it in the end. So the, the first question I have for you, Richard, is what is your it factor? Uh, I mean, you are without a question very successful at what you do but what do you think contributes to your success um i think a very zen approach to business I mean, this is a very serious business for me and, mm-hmm. and for for our team but it's a very zen approach we don't market really we don't advertise um we plan a lot and then we we take advantage of opportunities as they come okay and so i mean it, it's a very unusual approach People say, well, if you don't advertise, how do you get business? Says, well, you know, we do good work and, and people find us. Mm. And it's something so true, comes up yeah. and we take advantage of it. But, you know, that's what I think a lot of people, when it comes, like you, you mentioned quickly, marketing, they get so focused on trying to do the things right with marketing that they forget that, you know, really what you're doing when you market is you're selling yourself. And if you're not great and you don't plan and you don't do all the, those things right, what do you have to market? And I think if you focus on just being great, and doing all those things, the marketing happens for you. Uh, I don't think it's even, I think it's just, it's, I don't think you even think about being great. I think about 
doing just doing the best work that we can do, figuring out what it is we want to do and doing it the best we can do, and then keeping our eyes open when something comes our way to take advantage of it. And that goes back to the quote, which means requires a lot of planning because you never know what's going to come your way, and you've got to be ready for it. Awesome. So if I could just summarize, it's uh, being kind of having that Zen attitude and having the ability just to be great planners and to take advantage of opportunity. Exactly. Awesome. So let's apply this it factor. Tell us about a story, a specific story. Take us to the moment where this it factor helps you get to that next level of being a successful operation. Okay. Um, we had a good win that happened this year. Okay. We actually, over the past about two years, I've been expecting that at some point we're going to get sort of nationally, internationally noticed, and we were going to get a big opportunity that was going to be, if not well planned for, was going to be a really big concern. Because mm-hmm. we have limited production where we are. Where we, we make you know, a very small number of bonbons. They're very, very specially made. Each, piece is, each is a piece of art. And I was really concerned that if we got a huge opportunity and we weren't ready for it, we'd either have to turn it down, which we'd have to do, or it would eat us alive. Okay. And so I'd been thinking about that for a couple of years and, and planning our processes in the shop and, and how our staff works so that so they knew that when something came, when something broke loose, we we're going to be able to handle it. And um, about mid, let's say it was about late April, an email from a lady in Tokyo who said, you know, we I represent a, a buyer and, you know, a, a catalog company for Valentine's, which is really a big deal in Japan, and we'd like to come visit your shop. Okay. And uh, and they actually did. I was in Puerto Rico at the time they visited, <laughs> but my staff welcomed them in, and uh, and it was the the importer and the buyer, and they came and they liked what they found. It ended up being a really large order that um, the way Valentine's works in Japan, they have all of their stuff. People order everything for Valentine's through catalogs by about mid-December, so which is like our Christmas season, which is crazy, ago, yeah. <laughs> which is a crazy time. So we were planning for just several months for this, I mean, ended up being about 300 pounds of chocolate oh, wow. that, that we had to produce in our very tiny kitchen while we were at our absolute busiest time of year that usually sucks all the life out of us. You know, it takes everything we can give. And um, we were ready for it. And we and it made us, you know, it was it was a little bit stressful, but we were ready for it and we were able to pull it off. And that order went out about two weeks ago. It actually went down to the shipper. And uh, there's another part of it that's that's going out in the in the middle of Valentine's, oddly enough. Yeah, and you got but, a couple of weeks to catch your breath, and then Valentine's starts, right? <laughs> but I, I asked them how they found us, and they found us simply because they were coming. You know, they work mostly with artisan chocolatiers in Europe, a few okay. in the U.S. They were coming to the States, and they started looking around to see what was in New England, and they came across us, and we looked really interesting to them. Awesome. So, I mean, so that was, that was kind of one of those things of we, we didn't know what was coming, but I knew something was eventually coming. We were ready to be able to handle it when it came, and so now we're an international exporter. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, that's great. Can you and, give, like share like one of the specifics of how you planned, like one of the things like that you did to, to put that plan to action or just to be ready? Yeah, um, I'm going to give you a, a very short overview of, of how we work at our shop along okay. those lines. Please. Planning isn't just me. Yeah. I've got seven people, and I've got a board of advisors that we get together sort of quarterly and once a year for a strategic planning session. And I put this on the table a couple of years ago that I thought that this was eventually going to happen. We were getting more internationally known. Okay. And something like this was going to happen. And I just left it up for discussion, and I would kind of contemplate it. And everybody sort of knew that I was thinking about it, and it was something that we might eventually have to be ready for. So the staff was sort of primed for it. All right. And, um, and so it's that. It's, I, you know, my staff is part of my, my 
my brain in a lot of ways yep. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm working. You know, I, I kick things off, the, off of them. I make the decisions that have to be that way in the end, um, except for the ones I delegate. But I use them to kind of, you know, are we going to be able to do this? What's it going to take when, you know, when something comes up? Yeah, and then we kind of thought through some of the iterations and scenarios. Nothing formal, but just periodically we just talk it over. And, and, that's, and that happens with everything with us. You know, it's like we look at, we're always looking at scenarios. We just last weekend did our strategic planning session. My board of advisors, which is five people, and my staff, we got together for five hours. We closed on a Saturday. And we went through our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, strategic objectives for the year, all of that, and looked at, you know, what's likely, what are things we're likely to need to be thinking about? Awesome. I mean, and that, that, that's so important. I think just the communicating alone of like what your mission is, what your vision is, and why you're all there. When people know why they're working, the hours they're working, why they're working so hard, they put more into it. I mean, and I think that planning is is so important because of that. I mean, am I interrupting oh, yeah. the middle of your uh, your whole? Oh no, you're, you're perfect. I mean, my okay. my staff have to have to love what we do as much as I do, or yeah. or you know, this is all a waste of time. Great. Well, that was an awesome story, and I love how you kind of explained the importance of planning for us. The, step, the next question I have to ask you, I mean, we learned so much from success, but we learned more from failure. So can you share with us a time you <laughs> failed where you just did something completely wrong, fell hard on your fanny, you know, what you learned from this failure and how you, you know, got back up? Oh, yeah. This is my second business. Okay. <laughs> the first one was not chocolate. It was a software business. Oh, it, was a, it was a very cool product. It was well ahead of its time. It did not work. We tried to market it. It was coming out all over that. It didn't work. And in the end, after about four years, we got to – it was a knowledge, a knowledge management project product. We actually, as I was thinking about shutting down the company, we ended up in a run with Johnson Controls. It's a huge company um, in a competition with like 12 other businesses. And okay. the, the competition for the final product ran through a year. They kept narrowing down. We ended up in the last two. Wow. And they went with the other product, which did fail after six months. But when they did that, I said, okay, I've learned what I need to learn. We're shutting down. And my wife after that said, you know, this was not a failure, but it was, however, a, um, an MBA. <laughs> <laughs> and it was because I made such connections and I learned so much. I mean, the first thing I learned about business was important is you have no idea what you don't know. Oh, yeah. No matter what you're doing, whenever, you have no idea what you don't know. And so you have to find <laughs> other people who can help you figure out what the heck you don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, what else did you learn from this experience? It, says, it sounds like you learned so much. I mean, that's so important what you oh, said. Yeah. What well, else that, was, that, was, that was a big one also. Well, I came I learned about, uh, you may not be familiar with the Malcolm Baldridge Criteria for Performance Excellence. I'm not. <laughs> Baldridge is a big deal. Okay. Baldridge is, is, there are all sorts of little ways companies go through to try to make themselves better. But Baldridge was... I won't tell the long story of it, but it's essentially a a framework that just helps you look at how you're doing your business, and it's like holding up a big mirror and says, "Am I being honest with myself about everything?" Mm-hmm. You know, what are the key things? Just ask questions. You know, how do how do you know your customers are happy with what you're doing? How do you know you're successfully communicating with your staff? How do you know? I mean, it's mm-hmm. just a lot of how do you knows, and it's a, a pretty big thing, but. I learned about that and became very involved with it. I'm actually the vice chair of the Granite State Quality Council, which is the um, New Hampshire branch of the Malcolm Baldrige criteria. And we go in all over the country and evaluate companies along these lines. They, they spend about a year making an application, and it's completely – I mean, the whole thing is completely unpaid. It's, you know, it's un, as unbiased as you can get. It's top secret. We go to a place you don't know. You know we can't say where we're going. And we evaluate these places. We give them their feedback. And I learned so much because with that, you're going into I, – I went to a hospital in Seattle, and you're going to companies that are already good or they wouldn't be doing this. Okay. And 
I mean, a hospital in Seattle where this, this hospital said, we do, we have a, a self-improvement system called Plan, Do, Check, Act. It's a standard one where you, everything you process, you create, you look and you say, okay, you plan it out. How are we going to do it? How are we going to know if it's successful and how are we going to change it at that point to continue to improve it or drop it? Okay. And by the way, we do PDs, we do that with everything at our shop. But, um, I went into the cafeteria and, found, and, and talked to a lady who barely spoke English who could give me examples of how she did that, and it blew me away. But okay. the, the idea of it is, is everything is about processes, how we take an order is a process. Okay. And you can just do it, or you can put in place a little bit, a little piece, we call it the, the PDCA, Plan Do Check Act, that says, all right, this is how we're doing our ordering. Mm-hmm. In six months, we're going to take a look at it and know whether it's working right for us, measurably, prefer, preferably in a way that's measurable. Okay. And then in six months, we're going to evaluate it, make any changes, and decide whether this process isn't working at all, we should throw it away, or we can tweak it, and then go through the cycle again. And we do that with everything. Well, I mean, when you do that, you are constantly improving, and that's one of the things that comes up all the time, is, yeah. is, in, is you always have to constantly be improving. And I think with that, with your natural sense of being curious, like you mentioned, and with you know, knowing that you don't know what, or you, you never know what you don't know. I can't remember exactly how you That's said it. That's it. You don't know what you don't know. You know, if you're, if you're yeah. curious and you're always looking to learn more and you're always looking to plan to, you know, check, act, I mean, uh, that obviously if you're always improving, you're going to become better. And uh, it took, a, like you said, a failure that wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. a failure. It was an MBA to learn that, but it's so valuable. To learn a lot of things like that. And you think about it, you've been in our shop. We make a bonbon recipe once. Yeah. We'll make 20 to 200 of a piece. There are several reasons we do that. One of them is because our chocolate ingredients change all the time and we want to make the best things we can make. Mm-hmm. And the second one is because it makes us never stop paying attention to what we're doing and looking how to do it better. We make a bonbon and we look at it and we cut one in half and we analyze it and we say, what worked about this? What didn't work about it? You know, how can we, look, how can we learn from it and make it better for the next time? And we do that every day with our bonbons and with pretty much everything else we do. You know, it's so important. I feel like a lot of the reasons why some restaurants don't really ever get like why good restaurants don't ever become great is because they settle with the way they do things, but they don't ever really try to be better. They get in their groove and they don't plan to, you know, ask or like to check, is there a better way to do this? Is there a new technology that exists that could allow us to do things better? Or is it just something we haven't thought of? And I think that's so valuable. It's a great lesson you, to take away from this. You are right on. Success is, I believe success is your biggest enemy, mm-hmm. and competitors are your biggest strength. We <laughs> constantly travel looking for people who make anything, do anything we do better than we do. Yeah. Because that's the only way we can get better than we are. So, you know, we make phenomenal espresso. I went to school in Tuscany. Um, we get down to Boston, we get down to Providence. Whenever we go, wherever we go, I, I just blue bottle coffee in San Francisco. I was out giving a talk there a couple weeks ago. They're supposed to be one of the best in the country. And it was fantastic. I went, I tasted, I, I analyzed, I watched the barista. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and I think, okay, we can bring this back. Or, you know, croissants. We make great croissants. We, you know, we, you know, we travel when we when we have something better. We look okay. What are they doing? Where's our strong work? And we do it a little bit better than we're doing it. The same thing with every everything we do and all the pieces we make. It's it's you know it's like you learn to be really humble. <laughs> well, I mean, you have painted some great pictures from us, and we've already learned some awesome lessons from you. But we have to dive into the next part of the interview that I have dubbed knowledge bombs, just because you're going to drop some big old bombs of knowledge on how to lead, manage, and market. Uh, in this case, a chocolate uh, storefront. I mean, what, what do you, 
What would you call it? Is it it's not chocolateer? What's we're, your we're, we're, we are a chocolatier in a chocolate cafe. Okay. But we're, we're small. Whatever you and, want to call it, it's beautiful, delicious art. And you're <laughs> going to tell us how to you. deliver that successfully. So the, All right, first, bombs. <laughs> the first question I have for you is what advice do you have for funding? I mean, you, you mentioned that you had to outright buy this location. So how was that? I mean, how, what advice do you have? Buy the doing? location. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the Small Business Development Center. Highly underused. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's a, it's like you know, it's everywhere in the United States, mm-hmm. and it's free. And I don't know how it is in other other states, but in, the, in New Hampshire, the folk are fantastic. I worked even before I knew I was going to have to buy a building. I was starting to work on my financial analysis and financial work with the SBDC because I wanted to get an order because I knew I was going to have to move eventually or grow. Mm-hmm. And we met on the phone for probably an hour a week. You know, one day a week, and they just grilled the heck out of me and made me. By the time I had my cash flow and my my profit and loss, all that stuff, you know, all that stuff worked out in the planning. I mean, they didn't let me get away with anything. Awesome. So I mean, they... and and when when I went to actually get the money from the bank, we talked applied to four banks, and only one of them talked to us. Okay. In the end, I mean, was was interested, and you know, I meet annually with the banker who eventually you know who actually lent us the money. Um, then he said right off one of the things that that the two things that really got him were one is, is the passion and two the the preparedness mm-hmm. because there's no way in the world that somebody's got bank is going to lend a tiny chocolate shop to be you know several you know, three hundred thousand dollars to buy and retrofit a building in downtown New Hampshire it's mm-hmm. just not going to happen. No, do you think you would have been able to do it without the support of the small business development? Center? Oh no. Yeah, not a prayer. And, uh, not a prayer. <laughs> and that's come up on the show before. Where I mean, we one of the things that people suggest is you know if you can use your own money, never get loans. But sometimes in like your situation, you had to buy. Like you didn't have a choice. It's either yep. this or nothing. But what has been mentioned, and like you mentioned, is there's a lot of resources out there from these small business development centers, well, or even the the banks themselves. They provide a lot of services that can help you, and people don't use them enough. Oh, that is such a big deal to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, from you know the SB. The Small Business Administration that lent us the money for the actual build-out, mm-hmm. you know, an SBA loan, and the bank that lent us the, you know, that gave us the mortgage, and the SBDC, the Small Business Development Center, that provided a heck of a lot of expertise. Yeah. Um, and you know, now we work. I work a lot with the state, with with Division of Resource and Economic Development. Mm-hmm. Um, that we work with, you know, travel and tourism. Work with the business office. Um, you know, we've worked with International Trade Resource Center, which is fantastic. You know, it's like you pull in. I work with in town Manchester. You pull in your resources. They're great people out there to work with. Absolutely. And they expand what you know. So why would you not take advantage of it? Absolutely. You got to use all those available resources, and that's great advice. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Richard. The next question I have for okay. you, Richard, is uh, what advice do you have for hiring good people? <laughs> I have awesome people. Um, you hire for I hire for potential. I don't hire for skill, and I don't look for people. Mm. I hire, but like everything else, when the right people show up, I make sure to grab them. So, what do you look for? Like, I mean, what what is it that shows you potential? Usually, I'm not looking for. You may need somebody, but I'm not looking for somebody. Someone will show up. You know, as a customer, or whatever. We have an example is is. Um, we're starting a special sort of a side business. It's going to be probably bigger than Nancy Land Chocolate with a customer. And it was a customer. She's 24 years old. She comes in, and she's amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this kid's got more – I shouldn't call her a kid. This young lady's got more potential than – I mean, she can I, – I could just see in her talking to her. She's got her act together. She's smarter than all heck. She's ambitious but not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's organized, just a, a joy to work with. We started working on this fairly major project, which is actually an international project, um, really big. Uh, it's going really fast and really well, and she's all over it. And I knew that once that opportunity was there, that, that she was interested in doing some work, that I was, this, was, this was somebody that, that if we had a project, I needed to be working with because things would happen. Awesome. And so in a way, the project I had in my mind, but it started to really, I had planned it for two more years out. But it happened because the opportunity of the right person came along to do it. And the same, my, my chalk, with my other chocolatier, I'm sending her off to, she's going off to Master Chocolatier School in April. Um, she's been with me for about two years. And once again, she was a customer. She took a class. I, I just saw that she, she, you know, she didn't really like what she was doing on the side. She was in another job. She had a lot of potential. She, she had a lot of potential skills. She could be developed as a manager. And I thought, all right, she's got, you know, she's somebody I want to bring into the shop. Mm. And, uh, and that's how I hire people. It's like, you know, we bring somebody in. Everybody does everything in our shop anyway. I clean toilets, but um, <laughs> it's sweet. But but we all do. Every, but you you start you hire for for what people's potential is. I don't look for skill. I look for people that we can work with. That yeah. that's very very valuable contribute. stuff. Yeah, and I think it's been said on the sh- on the show. Another way to say it is, uh, you know, don't hire workers. Hire managers. Like if you can't see that person being a manager or surpassing you someday, then don't hire them. Uh, I entirely like, disagree with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not everybody's a manager. You need really good workers. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because then, then you come back to, oh, what is it, Peter's principle, people going up to their level of incompetence. Okay. Um, I have a person who runs, runs most of the logistics in my shop and handles the front. You've probably met her, Kathy. She's yes. amazing. Yeah. She doesn't want to be a manager, and she's not going to be, and it would be a disservice to her and to the company to do that. Well, but thank you that for disagreeing mean, with me. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean there's a tremendous – I mean, I put her in charge of our knowledge project. I mean, we gather knowledge. Everything we do, I need mm-hmm. to. If I'm, you know, if somebody's out for for a month, the place still needs to run. We need to know how to do everything. You got it. And it's yeah. a complex business, so it's she's in charge of that. True. She handles all of our ordering. She deals with our customers. You know, she's she's invaluable. Yeah. But she's never going to be a manager. That's not what she wants or what would develop her further. However, the amount she's developed in the three years she's been with me has been phenomenal. Well, there's no questioning you've surrounded yourself with great people. But now that you have them on your team, what's your advice for keeping them on your team? Exactly what I just said. Figure out what you need to know what drives your people, mm-hmm. and you need to know what their strengths are and their weaknesses are, and you need to play to their strengths, build up their, you know, work with them on their weaknesses, and reward them by giving them things that drive them. Mm. I mean, that that is, if somebody isn't a part of the organization and feels like they're part of the organization and and feels like what they're doing is really important, and it's what they need. Some people, money is important. Some people, ownership is important. Mm-hmm. Some people, creativity is important. Each person is different. You got to figure out what drives them and 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 how to make best use of that. And if you do that, they will be incredibly loyal. Real quickly, what quick advice do you have for finding out what drives people? Pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of business people are about themselves, mm-hmm. and you just have to get out of your own way and pay attention. Richard, that was such great and actionable advice you gave us. The next question I have for you is more on the topic of, you know, how to lead during those crazy times. And I know working in a chocolatier or a chocolate cafe, you don't have those crazy rushes, like peaks and valleys that we do in a restaurant, but you do have those seasonal crazy rushes. So, I mean, how do you manage and lead during those crazy times? Um, 
it gets tricky. I use my people. And when I, and actually, because things got so nuts this past year, I mean, we had Japan going on. We had the holiday season going on. We had one of my key staff out for three weeks with a medical issue that was completely unexpected by anybody. Um, you know, and, it, and, you know, we had a lot of other stuff going on as well. I mean, we've got probably 10 projects going on right now. Yeah. And it got a little bit out of hand for me. And, and I do my best when I'm not worrying about stuff and I'm just kind of keeping mm-hmm. in, in the back of my mind what the opportunities and possibilities are. Mm-hmm. The way I deal with that is my board of advisors. Mm-hmm. I have a few people that I can just call and say, hey, hey, let's have lunch and just sound and talk things through, and they will, they will tell me to my face. <laughs> there are people who are, are fearless, and that's why I want them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, you know, my friend Dan will just say, hey, 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 back off. Relax. You're looking at this wrong. You know, take, take a new view of it. Or, you know, some of the others. I mean, you know, it's, it's the first two years of this business, I knew this business had to be about me. Mm-hmm. Because it had about the personality, right? Yeah. But after that, it has to be about the business and not about me anymore. And taking your own ego out of things is not so easy to do, and it's a big deal. And it, I spend a lot of my time working with people, helping me make sure I do that. You know, the, I mean, that's so important, though. I mean, it, you have to. It's your whatever it is, whether it's your chocolate cafe or a restaurant or a butcher shop or a cafe. Like you, your business is an extension of you, and you can't run that business unless you know who you are, and you can't lead others unless you can lead yourself. So that makes perfect sense, Richard. I totally. I get have a, that. Thank you. I've got a general manager. I have to trust her, and she ran the place over the holidays and took care of most of the basic stuff. And I had to trust she was going to do it. I mean, I guess before we jump to the next question, you could say that. To, to first, you know, before you can lead others, you need to, you know, have that trust in your people, like you say. And uh, you mentioned planning even earlier. I'm sure that has a huge part to do with it. But just know yourself, and to know, and not be afraid to go to people and ask for help to get your thoughts out. Oh yeah, and there's an old, there's an old actually a samurai saying that mm-hmm. says it's very difficult. It's a very difficult thing to know one's own weaknesses. Mm. I, I I live by that. I, I always figure that no matter what you know, and that's what Baldridge is about in the end. Mm-hmm. So that worked. I worked for me. That it's about looking up and really facing up to your strengths and weaknesses. But getting your own your own self out of the way of that, so you can see them clearly. That's a hard thing to do. That's and really I deep, think that's powerful critical. stuff. Yeah, for sure. I 100% agree with you, and it's so crucial. But the next question, I have to move on. I would love to talk more. Okay, about let's this. move on. It's some it's a, some really deep, uh, heart touching stuff. Uh, so if we're gonna move on. The next question is, what is like, the best resource you have, whether it's a book or a website, uh, to help somebody with a small business um, or Maybe it's a chocolate book. Uh, whatever you want to share with us, what is it? I already told you. The Baldridge Criteria for Performance Excellence. You can download it for 10 bucks from baldridge.nist.gov. All right. I'll make sure to have that it's link. My, it, is my guide, it is my guidebook. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Great stuff. That is the first mention on the show, so thank you. I'm excited for that. I'll have to check it out. Um, all right. The next question, Richard. What advice do you have for marketing? I will tell you my 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 and this and the following question are going to be my my sole talk about marketing um the first key with marketing is our marketing is simply about our mission and it took me two years to figure out what it was Mm -hmm. it was always there but i didn't know um and we don't tell our mission to our customers generally it's for us it's how we market our shop and we live this and we do it our mission is to surprise and delight every customer by providing perfect customer service and the absolute absolute highest quality product awesome i love it and and that markets itself, mm-hmm. and it does. It that's, just does. <laughs> it's so powerful. And like, why? I mean, I think that's the first time someone's ever said, uh, you know, 
we've had people mention you need to know yourself like you you already mentioned like you need to make sure you have that identity and lead yourself before you can lead others but you need to have that clarity in what why you exist and what you are actually marketing um is that what i'm hearing is that what you're saying that is exactly what you're hearing and it and i didn't write that until it was pretty much full-fledged in my mind that that's what it was i didn't know for a long time what our mission was awesome and i don't think enough people write down their missions and their visions and get that clarity and share it because i mean that's another thing i've noticed about you you have no problem uh communicating what you like with your employees that's what it sounds like you sound like you guys have that really open two-way communication going which is huge it's a big deal it's a really big deal awesome that's it and it works you have to trust it it works Mm -hmm. it works people find we market entirely our market is entirely word of mouth because of what we do because of our mission that's I mean, awesome people stuff. people comment all over about our service, and we know that perfect customer service is unattainable. But if it were attainable, there'd be no point in having that as part of my mission. Yeah, and, and you know, we're, we're always trying to get better at it. If you want help of like trying to learn how to create a mission or a vision, Ari Weinswag, a past guest, uh, owner of Zingerman's on Ann Arbor, uh, he wrote a mm-hmm. book that's extremely helpful with this. I'll have that in the links to the show notes. It's been mentioned a few times on the show. But uh, moving on to the next question, okay. um, how important are new technologies with owning a business? And this, <laughs> like, I mean, I know it's just there's so many things. You always talk about, like you mentioned earlier, always improving. Are, are there anything or is there anything you use, a new technology that you use that always kind of stay on top of things or maybe it's an app you use in your personal life uh, ah, i'm going to redefine new for you okay. <laughs> um, and i'm going to hijack this question then we'll come back to the answer you really want okay um <laughs> the most important technology in my business and i believe in any business and this is a talk i gave in san francisco i had a panel on on you know, the cacao industry and it's the oldest technology that exists we tell stories we're storytellers mm-hmm. and the better we can tell a story the better our business is going to be. And that means everybody in my shop and everybody in our supply chain has to be able to tell the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's ancient technology now. That said, social media and the web are one way of helping us tell stories and get them out further. Absolutely. But it's still only about, still about the stories. And they have to be real and they have to be to heart or they don't, they don't count. Marketing doesn't work. I I 100% agree with you, and that's one of the things I've learned, and that's exactly why I always ask people to share stories. This show has evolved, and I used to ask just plain, like, give me your answer, but now I'm like, tell me a story that, you know, shows me your answer works, because that's how we learn, and that's, you know, and that's how you can really resonate with people is through those stories and sharing those feelings and experiences. It's so powerful. It is what we do. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're at a rather unusual place. Um in the kinds of chocolate we use, and some of them are not inexpensive, to say the least. And they sell because we can tell the stories. So now, that said, there are a couple other things that we, technologies that we do use pretty heavily. Um, internal, well, internally, we capture knowledge. All right. I've got a background in it, and I know it's critical. I mean, I go backpacking for two weeks every year, and I do not take a cell phone. Okay. And I expect that the shop is going to run better than when I'm there because that <laughs> means they can solve problems without me and, and be a little more creative and not worry about what I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, and it does, and that's important to me. But but when when our other staffer was out for three weeks in the middle of the Christmas holiday, we were able to get by because and do well because we have a knowledge base. We already we could look up how to do stuff, mm-hmm. and it has to be live, and that's really hard to do well. 
Yeah. So um, you're calling, you collect knowledge. What is this knowledge base you're talking knowledge about? Knowledge is, okay, what's, what's, um, I'm making up bags of drinking chocolate for sale. What's the proportion? How do you make them? Okay. How do we, we, if we, 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 when we make our packages, they have to be beautiful. We tie them a particular way. They have to be put together in a particular way. How is that done? This, um, this, from that to how do you take an order? <laughs> this sounds a lot like an operations manual. Is that what you're? you're it, well, it is. Except, except the problem with manuals is they're static and dead. Okay. A knowledge base is alive. It's always changing, and people have you have people have to be in the habit of always tweaking and improving. I saw one of our staff updating the how we clean the espresso beverage counter because we make great espresso. But you have to understand, we got some more feedback on from some of, some specialists on on taking better care of our machine mm-hmm. or being able to clean it in a way that we didn't realize and that, that, went into the, that went into the guide you know it's like everything goes in and I have one person in charge of gathering knowledge from everybody else you know everybody puts stuff in but one person's in charge of actually making sure that things are captured yeah um, so that there's nothing out there that, we, that somebody has to say well how do we do that oh, and man. no one knows <laughs> yeah. I love how much stress you put on systems, processes, and procedures. And uh, I want to share something with you real quick. Uh, it's called Sweet Process. A past guest was on a show, the founder of Sweet Process. Um, and I think you're going to love it, Richard. Uh, and you can try it for free if you use a promotional code that I'll give you um, for, I think, okay. 28 days. But if you go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash sweet process and follow those instructions, uh, you can try it. And what it does, is it's software that helps you create these systems. And it sounds like you don't need any help with it. But if, if somebody else out there is listening and they think that it might be something that you could use, if you do need some guidance, it's uh, you get a free trial. You can try it out, see if it's right for you, okay. but check that out. It's the S-W-E-E-T? Yep, sweetprocessoneword.com. And um, if you okay. – uh, you can well, also... if it's something that's if it's something that that I think is is really valuable for the bigger picture people, it's something I would take to the Grand State Quality Council because they're always looking at at tools that can help small businesses and large businesses um, function more effectively and understand the processes better. Yeah, and I didn't mean to derail your 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 oh, group there, man, because it was awesome. Um, <laughs> it really was. But how do you? I, I, I will never use I will never use technology for technology's sake. Sake. I've been <laughs> in the business for way too long for that to be you know, to to fall in love with it. Just because I mean I love technology, mm-hmm. yeah, but you know it's I, I learned a long time ago that technology follows process. If your processes don't work, your technology won't make them work. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I mean, uh, you can have a hammer, but if you don't swing it, it's not going to build a house. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> great stuff. I mean, how do you record this? All these processes? Do you use an operations mail? Do you do you keep it online? Uh, no, we, have, we 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 actually we keep it online. We have a we have a, a shared space backed up. All of that um, that's accessible to everybody in the shop. Okay. We, have, we have laptops kind of scattered around, and uh, everybody has access to it. Do you store it on any particular – is it in the cloud anywhere? Or? Uh, it's in the cloud because it because the uh, cloud makes me nervous. But, yeah, <laughs> it's in the cloud. Is there, is there uh, like a – I know I use Dropbox. Do you use anything? Yeah, like I'm using Dropbox, but we encrypt it before it goes in. Okay, that's smart. <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah. All right, I won't pry any further. I don't want to make you uh, – No, it's, no, it's just you know, like I said, it's me <laughs> – Technology is a great thing, and it's a huge weakness. Yeah. We are rated incredibly well on the rating site. That also comes up as a threat on our SWOT analysis, our strength weak. This is every, opportunity threats every year because that stuff can be pretty you – know, it can change on a dime if somebody changes an algorithm, right? Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, it's all, it's all great, but, but 
you can't count on it. And I don't, I don't want to get myself in a place where we're counting on something that suddenly Dropbox changes the process and we're kind of messed up. Yeah, you don't yeah, want I'm to really not... be like reliable or reliant on those services because if they change, then it throws a wrench in your entire operation. I hear what you're saying. And they will change. We've yeah. all been in this for a long time. They will change. Yeah. <laughs> it's the nature of them. I do understand that completely. <laughs> um, and if there's nothing else you want to add to that, I can ask. Okay, we're good with that. Okay. Uh, the next question I have for you, Richard, uh, what is your best business advice? If you can go back in time and approach 1995, Richard, and say, hey, man, this is I'm, – I'm you in the future, and this is my, my shining pot of knowledge for you. Um, this is what you need to do differently. Like what advice would you give yourself? I know exactly what I'd give myself. I wouldn't have listened to it because I wouldn't have, <laughs> have known enough to understand it. But cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Um, Cash flow is everything because if we wanted to be a business that just started up and we're just a chocolate shop mm-hmm. and just happily selling locally and there's no big deal, cash flow is not important. It's important to me mm-hmm. because, you know, you get level over, over a couple of years and it's fine. You're what you are. But we're growing and we're growing in an odd way because we have very limited production, but you know, we're working on opening a plantation in you know another country, and we're we're like in a, you know writing a book with a really famous illustrator right now, and we're you know and doing a pile of other things, and things cost money, and I have to have staff to do this, and so as much as we're growing, we're spending more, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't matter that our revenue is growing by X a year, which is fantastic. Cash flow is more important. And I would not have – in 1995, I would have said that to myself, and I would have had no clue. I think I might have even known it back then, but (laughs) it wouldn't have mattered. But I would tell people that that research it, think it through, understand it, talk to more people about it, understand cash flow (laughs) because it it can help you or it can kill you, or depending on what you want, it will be different, and you have to understand how it works because – how much money you make is entirely unimportant. Mm-hmm. Is there a resource <laughs> that you went to to learn more about cash flow that you could share with us? No, I yeah yeah I just experienced. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, no, but there I'm sure there are resources out there who can help you, business resources and others who can help you understand it mm-hmm. better. Talk to small business people. I mean, every once in a while somebody will come to me and ask us just about business, mm-hmm. and we'll talk to them about business because. Because you know we've been through a lot and we've got a lot more to go through, but you learn stuff. Yeah. And and you know and we met, we have a couple of businesses we're sort of mentoring. You know I'm sort of mentoring. Hey man, you're being a mentor to thousands right now. I do appreciate. I appreciate that. it. That's what this is. I mean it's and it's true, proving to be extremely extremely valuable. Uh, we all do appreciate it. Um, Good cash flow. <laughs> all right. The last question before we wrap it up is uh, what question could I have asked you that you think would have brought more value to this interview? What's the best piece of business advice you've ever been given? Oh, that's a good one. What is it? Um, it is Tom Raffio, president of Northeast Delta Dental, okay. who I was having dinner with before I started this business. Um, and even before, it's what caused me to join the Granite State Quality Council and get involved with Baldrige. I was having dinner with him, and and they had just won like best company to work for in the country, top five for the fifth year running. And I said, what is it you do? I mean, they're they're doing really financially everything they do. just It's a, such an incredibly well-run company. And he said, it's really simple. I take care of my employees. Because if I take care of my employees, my employees will take care of my customers, and my customers will take care of the bottom line. Mm, that's awesome and, stuff. And, I, and that just, it was like, 
yeah, okay, that explains it. And it really does. That explains everything. And he does. I mean, they, they do take that approach. Yeah, especially in a business that's so driven by customer service. And if those people that are the face of your company are happy, then it's 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 contagious. Your guests will be happy and they'll come back. And such such great advice. Oh, it, it, it's critical because my, you know, Kathy, who works in the front, who basically is from New Hampshire, Manchester, has always been in Manchester, can talk to you about fermentation of cacao. Mm-hmm. And She's never been to a plantation. We'll fix that someday. But, you know, or a farm. But she can talk that. She knows yeah. the stuff. And I've been to, I mean, I'll tell you, the, the worst thing ever is you go to a restaurant and you say, how's the blank? And they say, oh, I don't know. I haven't tried that. Okay. Oh. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. Or, you know, or those, those little things. You know, at the end of the year, I drink tea. I, get, I, I, order tea. I go to a fantastic restaurant. It's a beautiful place, wonderful, incredible food, well-known. I get a bag of tea. Mm. And it's like, um, you just messed up the entire experience for me at the very end on a little thing. Don't do that. You know, it's like take care of your staff so they understand and they know what you're about and they know it's about the customer and, and let them take care of you. Awesome. And they will. Great stuff. So we're going to wrap it up. Uh, we wrap up every episode by you calling out uh, maybe it's another master chocolatier or somebody in the food and beverage industry or restaurant owner uh, that you think is just incredible and you admire as a professional I think would make a great yep. mentor on the show. Yep, I'm going to give you her name. Um, she is not a restaurateur or any of that. She actually has a flower shop that is expanding into a cafe. She's been doing teas and, and pastries and things for ages. Yeah. And, is, and, and it's Alyssa Van Gilder of Apotheca in, Goth, in Gothtown. Right. The thing about Alyssa is Alyssa is she just does everything perfectly. She understands the business in a way that you walk into that place. I mean, I was there yesterday and it's a Sunday and it's winter and the place is just hopping and people are sitting around relaxing, eating pastries and drinking tea. Mm. And it's beautiful and everything about it. I I mean, I, I can see how calculated it is and how much of it is just her understanding the look and the feel and what makes the customers feel comfortable and how the staff works and everything. Mm. I mean, she understands. That's an impressive one right there. I will, and, <laughs> I will be coming after you, Alyssa, for sure. Okay. Thank you very much. I mean, those are all the questions. Um, we just need to find out how to connect with you now. If there's anybody in uh, New England that just wants to, who's very passionate about chocolate and they want to learn from somebody like you, how can we connect? Dancinglionchocolate.com. Right. Or show up to our place, which is pretty much across the street from uh, – from City Hall in, uh, in downtown Manchester. And I will vouch that you guys are super receptive to people coming in and asking for your time because I am living proof of that. That's how <laughs> I was in Manchester. I was talking to some locals and I was like, who's somebody I need to get on the show? And your name came up and I came right over and you guys were so helpful and super approachable. So do reach out to Richard. Uh, great guy and just awesome, awesome advice. Incredible guest, mentor. Thank you so much. There's no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you so much, Eric, and it has been a complete pleasure. Boom! Another awesome episode here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I mean, I don't know where where these guys come from, but I'm just extremely grateful to have them on my show, just dropping this knowledge on us. Uh, If you guys found value in today's episode and you want to support the show, the best way to do it is simply just by giving five-star reviews in iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Uh, That really helps with my ranking and uh, getting exposure. So uh, just... Share you know those those reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. You're doing me a huge favor, and you know what really stuck out to me today uh, was 
Richard's emphasis on processes and systems and always, always improving them, never settling, always throwing it against the wall to see what sticks best. And, you know, it's just really valuable stuff. And, um, again, if you guys are interested in learning more about how you can implement these systems and processes into your restaurant, check out episode 98 my interview from one of the founders, Owen, at SweetProcess.com. He really dives into how to create these processes, and he uh, has some great tools to let you do that or to show you how to do that. So check out that episode, www.RestaurantUnstoppable.98. You'll find it right there. All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. Thank you for sticking through uh, the complete 50-plus minutes. I do appreciate you. <laughs> Until next time, peace out. Out.